Hello and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees and on each episode I investigate a different, weird and wonderful subject. And on this episode we are going to travel back through the mists of time to take a look at a very old and a very tragic ghost story which I call The Hanged Lady for reasons which will become clear very soon. And what I really like about this story is that on the one hand it is a very traditional tale with lots of little elements you've probably heard many times before. But at the same time it has a very unique, a very Welsh twist to it because here in Wales even back in the good old days people couldn't just take things at face value and one particular man of the church after hearing this story decided to go and investigate for himself and what he discovered was somewhat surprising but I don't want to spoil things yet so all will be revealed at the end. Now this tale was first written down was preserved for prosperity by an independent minister called Edmund Jones. Now regular listeners might remember that I spoke about Edmund Jones a few months ago on episode 37 and explained that Edmund Jones is considered to be the man who compiled the first collection of real-life ghost stories in Wales. So he didn't record the first ever tales, but he was the first person to compile a collection of supposedly real-life tales by speaking to people, interviewing people, and gathering them from these old sources and putting them together into one wonderful book. And that is where this tale of the Hanged Lady comes from. And if you would like to know more about Edmund Jones and you do enjoy this episode, by all means, go back and check out episode 37, all about pesky poltergeists at the end of this one. Now, this story begins in the year 1769 in the Welsh parish of Astragunlais. Now, Astragunlais nowadays is right at the bottom of Powys, but at the time when Jones was writing, when he first recorded the eerie events of this tale, it was in the extreme corner of Breckenshire, which stands between Glamorganshire and Carmarthenshire. And it was there that Jones tells us a notable apparition was seen in the parish of Astragunlais. And he was told this by the Reverend Thomas Lewis. So the Reverend Thomas Lewis, you'd hope being a reverend isn't making things up. And you'd hope Edmund Jones being a minister himself is also not making things up. And so if you choose to believe what the Reverend Thomas Lewis told Edmund Jones all those centuries ago, then this story is indeed a real life, a true ghost story of a notable apparition. Now, this apparition is female. Sadly, her name has been disguised by Edmund. But he does tell us that she was in great trouble of mind for a long time. Great trouble of mind. Now, you can you can make of that what you will. I think nowadays we might say she was 
under a lot of stress, maybe. Maybe she was depressed. She had some kind of issues, and whatever these issues were, whatever these great troubles of mind were, Edmund suggests she could no longer continue living. She could no longer carry on with her life with these troubles weighing her down. And it did end tragically. To quote Edmund again, he says, Alas, she did hang herself. She did hang herself. About the year 1769. And... I don't think I'm giving away too much. I mean, you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to work out that the hanged lady in the title of this episode is indeed this tragic young woman who took her own life. And I think this does show one of the big differences between old ghost stories and modern day ghost stories, because nowadays we build up to the big reveal. Nowadays we build up and shock people with, and it was this person. But that's not the case with Edmund at all. Straight in, this is who we think this apparition is, and now our story can begin. Now, not long after this young woman tragically took her life, a young man, the, the, the main character, I guess, of our story, who again is not named, but the protagonist, as it were, paid a visit to Astragunlais. He was from nearby Llawell Parish, we are told, and he came to see a young woman who he courted, who lodged at the house of a Thomas Richard. Now, he went to the house of Thomas Richard to see his beloved, but she was not at home. He stayed a while there until it was sometime far in the night, and eventually he had to give up. This was long before the days of dropping her a quick text message or whatever people use nowadays, some kind of instant message service. You just had to sit and wait and hope for the best, and she did not arrive, and eventually it got so late, he had to give up, and he had to find accommodation for the night. So he headed out into the darkness, into the pitch-black Astrogan last night, in search of somewhere to sleep, and he headed for the local alehouse. And as he made his way to the alehouse, it wasn't too far away, but he could see in a field on the other side of the river, by the smith's shop, a fire. Yes, a fire raging in one of the fields. And not just that, but a field he would have to cross in order to get to his destination. It was late, it was dark, he was tired, he was upset, his girlfriend had stood him up, and now there was a big roaring fire in his way. He, he just wasn't in the mood, and he decided to turn around and take a different route. And as he did so, he discovered he was no longer alone. Standing in front of him was the apparition of a woman. And more than that, a woman he recognised, not someone he knew particularly well, but someone he had met once before. They travelled from Neath Market together, and there was her apparition in front of him. What a night, let down by your girlfriend, fire blocking your route home. Now you've bumped into some ghost, and he was, to quote, extremely terrified, and he went to the alehouse faint and indisposed. Which, I guess, is how most of us would feel after all of that, really. He deserves a drink after all of this. Now, the woman at the alehouse made him very welcome, put him to bed, 
And I like this little uh, this little note which Edmund Jones has put in. She suspected he had seen an apparition and asked him about it, and which he owned he had. How how do you suspect somebody has seen an apparition? Maybe maybe back then people had this look, this look of extreme terror he must have had. But the woman, the good lady of the alehouse, knew he'd seen a ghost, asked him about it, and he was quite happy to admit that he had seen one. There was none of this bravado and pretending to be brave and no, no such thing as ghosts. No, no, no. He was quite happy to admit that, yes, I saw one and it terrified me. And not just terrified, but when he woke up the next day, he found himself ill. He was still ill from the night before and decided to make his way home to his own bed. Now, unfortunately for the young man, and if, if he's got any luck at all, it's just bad luck. Nothing goes right for him. But he was ill the next day. And by the time he got out of bed and the time he got dressed, it was getting on a bit. And he had a bit of a walk to get home. And by the time he was getting home, it was getting dark again. It was late at night. And can you believe it? He saw that ghost again. There she was for the second time, two nights in a row. He could not get away from her. And as a result, I mean, Jones doesn't specify this, but as a result, he speeds up and he gets home extra quickly. He rushes back as quick as he can, back into his own house and back into his own bed. And then, and then, like I said, bad luck. This man must have kicked a black cat and walked under a bunch of ladders or something because he gets into his own bed and there she is again for the third time now in two days. She is there waiting for him in his bed before disappearing. Now, of course, his family was slightly concerned with what was going on. His cousin popped round to try and cheer him up. Another young man, we have no name for him, but another young man popped around to talk to him and, you know, he, he just assumed it was something to do with his love life, you know. He went off to see his sweetheart, she wasn't there, he came back despondent and made up a load of rubbish about ghosts and he said to him, in a slightly jolly way, but it's, a, it's an honest question, he said, has she refused thee? Has she refused thee? To which his cousin soberly replied and told him how it was. And he told his cousin, he made it perfectly clear. He said, look, I, I can understand where you're coming from. I, I'm paraphrasing here slightly, but he, you know, he did say, I can understand that you think I'm depressed and I'm moping around because I've been turned down or dumped or whatever it is. But I promise you, I've seen this, that this ghost, what we call the hanged lady, not once, not twice, but three times now. And not only out in the forest, the third time was in my bedroom. Trust me, I am not making this stuff up. And after listening, his cousin, rather than, you know, laughing and pulling his leg, came up with what he thought was a constructive answer, a solution to this. And he said, thou must speak to her. And by her, of course, he means the apparition, not his, his ex-girlfriend here. Thou must speak to her. And I love the way they keep using the word thou as well. We don't use thou enough nowadays, I don't think, except for maybe in um, 
Thor comics, some Marvel comics with thou verily my my hammer and stuff. But anyway, let's let's use thou more. And back to this, he says thou must speak to her, and he goes on to explain thou must do it, or thou shalt have no quiet. I will come with thee, and thou shalt have no harm. Shalt is not a great word, isn't it? But anyway, they went out, and they called at Tavern Agarag. Now, that's the name of an inn, of a tavern. I am assuming it was the inn that he stayed in after his night of disappointment, but I, I can't be certain. But they headed to Tavern Agarag, and the plan was to have a drink or two to order a couple of pints to see what happens, but our main man at the heart of this story just couldn't relax. And while his cousin was drinking away, he was there with at least one eye watching the door. He was expecting someone or something to emerge from the darkness through the door and come into the pub. And this did not go unnoticed by the other drinkers and the other regulars in the pub. They, they were wondering, who is this, this shifty character who's kind of sitting there nursing his drink? Maybe he was, maybe his leg was tapping or something, but he was showing signs of nervousness and this was rubbing off on the people around him. And Eventually, he, he does get up and he, he goes outside into the yard. I'm not entirely sure why he goes there. Maybe he's stretching his legs. Maybe there's, there's some other reason. But he goes out into the yard. And for this bit, I am going to quote Jones directly because he, he does such a wonderful job of describing what is the big reveal in this story. And he says, as soon as... As he went out in the yard, he saw her. She was very little in size, but still the same. And then, just in case there was any doubt left, Jones tells us that this is the woman who had hanged herself, who was now in the kingdom of darkness, for no eternal life is promised to self murderers now that, that's a quote from the bible then it's a well-known trope quite a popular concept with a lot of ghost stories where if somebody does kill themselves they can't go to heaven of course because they've done something they were told not to do in the bible but at the same time in a lot of cases these people are not bad people by all accounts this young woman was a good woman but she just found herself in such a tough situation, she wouldn't necessarily be sent to hell, and she was stuck in some kind of limbo, purgatory, call it what you want, darkness, as Jones calls it, but whatever it was, she was stuck on this earth in the form of an apparition she had not moved on, and for some reason, she had chosen to target the young man to appear to again and again and again. And so, to go back to Jones, he says, As soon as he saw her, he said, Oh God, here she is. Upon which his cousin says, I, I don't know where his cousin has popped up from, presumably he has followed him out into the yard. But his cousin says, looking at the apparition, this is a sad thing. And with that, she was gone. And whether or not the cousin truly believed what he was saying before or not, maybe he was just going along with it out of the, sort of the kindness of his own heart, as it were. Whatever the reason was, they had 
returned to the, the scene of the crime, as it were. They had both witnessed the hanged lady at the same time, and they were both none the wiser. And so there was only one thing left to do, to return inside the nice warm pub and to keep drinking. And it turns out the house where that young lady had tragically taken her own life not so long ago, or not so long ago before the time of this story, was only a short distance from that pub. And later that night, the young man began to feel a little bit uneasy again, a bit like he had in the pub where he was watching the door. He was on edge again. Something was not right. And he said to his cousin once more, I must go outside. Now, his cousin, of course, said, fine, okay, I'll come with you. But he said, no, thou shalt not. Others offered to go with him as well. He must have made some friends or he already knew some people in the pub. But others offered to go with him. And yet again, he said, no, thou shalt not. None of them should go with him. He went out and she appeared to him alone. He was outside. The ghost was back. Just the two of them this time. She bid him not fear, but said that he must follow her. Maybe this had been the intention all along. He was supposed to follow her. Instead, he was getting terrified and running in the other direction. And so, eager to help, or maybe just eager to put an end to this, either way, he was eager for whatever reason, he offered to help. She led him to the back side of the house where she had lived, not too far away, and bid him raise up his hand and take from the wall a linen small bag. This he did. So he put his hand up and he found a long lost linen bag. It's described as a thin bag. And inside this thin bag was a great sum of money, supposed to be about 200 pounds in gold coins, maybe silver coins. He, he was too scared to even look. And 200 pounds, 200 pounds isn't a shabby amount of money. Nowadays, I, I wouldn't say no to 200 pounds. But if we go back a few centuries, I mean, that is a, well, I, I, I don't know, I'm guessing, but it's, it's a heck of a lot of money going back then. So anyway, he found this bag with a obscene amount of gold or silver coins in. And she said to him, she bid to him, go and cast it in the river. Now, if you were paying attention just 10 minutes or so ago, you will remember that she did first appear to this man as he approached the river on his way home that first night, or on his way to the alehouse that first night after being stood up. And he returned to that river now with this bag of incredible wealth and hurled it in. And I'm sure the temptation to keep it must have been great. But clearly, the fear, the terror this ghost was striking into him overrode whatever greed might have been in him. Or maybe he was just a very good, honest young man. I don't know. I'm, I'm making up my own stories now. But either way, that money was gone into the river. And that was seemingly that he did as he was told. He was no longer haunted. But... There are a few little aftermaths to this tale. An epilogue or two. First of all, we are told that some persons who heard this story at the time did go to the river to search for the money. They could find none. 
And as Jones tells us, this is a popular motif of this kind of ghost story. There are several instances of money cast into the water at the request of disembodied spirits, but the money could never be found, as was the case again with this story. Now, I mentioned at the start this tale was related to Jones by the Reverend Mr. Thomas Lewis, a man that we hope as a reverend was telling the truth. And not only did he relate this story to Jones, he also went out to try and verify it. He went to that house, that house where, where the tragedy happened, and he went to the spot where the bag was found and put his own arm in there to recreate the scene. But something unexpected happened. He reached in with his arm and realized there was no way he could get to where that money was supposed to have been. He could not reach it. In fact, he said it would be impossible to get your arm up there, you know, unless you're Mr. Fantastic, or going back to Marvel Comics again, but unless you've got long Mr. Fantastic arms, you're not going to be able to reach this bag. And yet he was convinced this story was true, and he believed, as did Jones, that it is likely, therefore, he was helped by the spirit. So she led him to the spot, he put his arm in, and the spirit must have nudged it maybe, helped the money along into his grasp. And more than that, Mr. Lewis, the dissenting minister in those parts, we are told, spoke to the young man concerned and he asked him about the ghost's voice because the ghost did beckon him to follow and he wanted to know if the ghost had a, a terrible voice or not and the young man said to quote it was a sound as if it were out of a drum but not so terrible so the voice itself wasn't that terrifying the appearance was but not so much the voice. And when he says drum, I'm assuming he means a little bit echoey, like a sound in the distance, reverberating, echoing about the place. But whatever he meant, it's not something I'm going to try and recreate now. That, that is beyond my special effects powers, I think. And finally, the last little bit of information from this tale, the very last little if we keep the Marvel theme going, there seems to be a Marvel theme in this episode for some reason. This is the last little Easter egg scene right at the end of the credits. But the Reverend tells us that when he spoke to that man after these events had all taken place, he was not well at all. When he saw him, he was not well. This man had not recovered after helping the ghost. It seems he had gone downhill. Maybe he should have just kept the £200 and had a big party. I'm sure that would have put a smile on his face. I don't know. What what would you have done? It's a question, isn't it? We can, we can ponder. And I think that's a good way to wrap up this episode as well. What would you have done with this money? Would you have kept it or would you have thrown it in the lake as requested? As always, it's always great to hear from people, so let me know about that or about anything else. Maybe you've been visited by a ghost who led you astray or led you towards money, I guess, or both maybe, I don't know. Maybe you have been led astray by a ghost, but I'm quite easy to find online. Just do an internet search for Mark Reese and you can find my website or 
or you can find me on social media. I'm on all the main platforms. And as always, if you have enjoyed this tale from Edmund Jones, as mentioned, episode 37 is another one of his tales. And I imagine I will revisit some more of these in a month or two. And if you don't want to miss that or any of the other fantastical episodes coming up, please consider hitting the subscribe button and you will never miss an episode ever. And on that note, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Dioch and Varian and Grandor, I've been Mark Grace. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast. It's the best, it's the beautiful, it's the only Ghosts and Folklore podcast beaming to you from Wales to the world. Until next time, no star. No star.